Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, we're going to look at this entire chapter this morning. If you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome Reach Church to Soto. I believe they've already had a baptism this morning. Isn't that exciting? Reach Church to Soto is baptizing, and people are coming to faith in Christ, and so grateful the work that God is doing out there, and Pastor Ryan and Pastor Josh doing an excellent work uh, in Reach Church, and so we're, we're just pumped about that place and what God's going to do this next year. And then uh, we also want to welcome Fellowship Olathe. They're joining us via live stream this morning and so grateful that they can join us in the venue service down the hall. It's good to be in God's house this morning. I, I do want to also remind you that tonight at 5 p.m. we'll have a business meeting. And one of my goals is to get more people to attend our business meetings. How about that? Because our business meetings are a lot of fun. We get, we get to see all that God has done and all that God is doing. And I, I understand that these, to some extent, are some sad days and some very difficult days. But if you want to be encouraged, show up to our business meeting tonight. Because God is at work. God is sovereign. Christ is on his throne and Jesus saves. And we're going to move forward in what God has called us to do. So uh, you need some encouragement in your life. Be here tonight at 5 p.m. Just a, just a preview. We gave more to missions this past year than we ever have. How about that? And... Uh, so many other exciting things, encouraging things. So be here if you can, 5 p.m. right here in this room. Well, Genesis 32, we come to uh, what I really for me is my favorite chapter in all of Genesis. So uh, this is my favorite uh, chapter in Genesis. And it's, it's a little bit difficult that, that there's an episode here, if you've read ahead, that's probably one of the most enigmatic of all the, the, the stories, the episodes within within the book of Genesis. And I, I've always thought and felt like some of those difficult parts of Scripture are often where you glean the greatest principles. So some of the blessings of God's Word are found in some of those difficult texts. And to me, this has become one that I just love to camp out here. And there's no way I can do it justice this morning. We, we can't even begin to kind of touch the surface of, I think, all that God wants to teach us here. We'd be here all day, and we don't want to do that. But, but we're going to try to look at it as best we can. You know, one of the things that we see in this chapter, and certainly in all of Jacob's life, is we see the perseverance of God. You know, as Christians, we talk a lot about how it's so critical in our own personal lives to be men and women of perseverance, and we're going to even see that with Jacob. But I think what's more astounding to me is not the perseverance that we have towards God, but the perseverance that God has towards us. You see, Jacob, he's a mess. Uh, he's the most flawed of all the patriarchs. I mean, guy's got all kinds of flaws. In fact, his name means what? His name means deceiver. And names back then was given kind of as a representation of their character. And that's who Jacob was. He was a deceiver. He was deceitful to court. Literally means twisted. He was a messed up guy. And he seems to mess up around every corner. Abraham messed up Isaac, but not like Jacob. Every corner, and God just keeps working on him. If I'd have been God, I'd have left him sitting at the curb long, long time ago. But God won't give up on him. God won't let go of him. And I think that's why I love Jacob so much. Because often I pray, God, don't give up on me. Any of you grateful today that we serve the God of Jacob who doesn't give up on us and just keeps working and moving 
we fall down and there he comes to pick us up again and to move us on further in the purposes that he has for us. And so certainly we see that occurring in Jacob's life. As we encounter him in, here in chapter 32, Jacob is a changed man. He's different than the Jacob that we encountered when he was at Bethel and the Jacob that we encountered when he deceived his, his father and his brother. He's a changed guy. He, he's learned a lot about God. In many ways, he's learned, uh, he learned to use God. He's learned to let God bless him and he's learned to let God protect him. But when push comes to shove, when, when Jacob is backed into a corner, what does Jacob always do? He reverts right back to his old ways. And so guess what God is going to do in Jacob's life? He's going to break him. God's going to go toe-to-toe with Jacob. And he's going to break him. Because sometimes in order for God to get our heart, he has to dislocate our hip. So with that in mind, let's just read this. Let's read this chapter, beginning in verse 1. It says, now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Similar to at Bethel, these two episodes as Jacob is, is going and now as he's returning, he sees God's thoroughfare of aid, that God is with him. And in verse 2, Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Real confident guy right here, huh? Let's just divide it up so I don't go broke. In verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. And now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he'll come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I'll surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there and then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking cows and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys and a partridge and a pear tree. And he's sending it all. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It's a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third, and all 
Um, those who followed the drove saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterwards, I will see his face and perhaps he'll accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he arose that same night and took, two, t- took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream And he sent across whatever he had. And then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and we are so grateful this morning that you have recorded the life of Jacob for us so that we could learn from this one who was a deceiver but was transformed by your grace into Israel. And God, we pray this morning that you would teach us more about how you are changing us from sinners into saints, from those who have sinned against you into men and women who are used by you for your glory. Speak to us, Lord, this morning. Work in all of our hearts for the glory of Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. I've divided this passage into four kind of scenes. There's four uh, really parts to this chapter and the first part that you see there is Jacob returning it's the bulk of the passage it's it's verses 1 through 23 the context here is that Jacob is finally going home we know this he's been with Laban he's he's been through the grist mill of Laban for 20 years and Laban has beat him like a borrowed mule Laban has worn him out and God has humbled Jacob by means of Laban but now he's free he's He's, he's getting to go home, and he's getting to go home with his family. There were probably times when he wasn't sure that this day would ever come. And now it's here, and he's going home, and he's excited, and he's relieved. But I'm sure the excitement, the relief, was a little bit short-lived because as he begins to return home, he quickly realizes there's somebody back home that doesn't like me very much. His name is Esau. See Esau's name a lot through this chapter. Esau, I think, was always in the back of Jacob's mind. It was kind of that Waterloo moment, that one final battle out there that he was afraid would finally defeat him. He knows that Esau is mad. The last thing he heard from Esau is the next time I see that boy, he is a dead man. And he knew Esau. And he knew Esau was more than capable of taking him out. And so as he returns home and he begins to to journey back towards his home, he is scared. It it strikes me as you study Jacob's life that Jacob 
um, was a pretty confident guy. I, I think if we would have met Jacob, certainly in his earlier years, he would have come across as arrogant. He probably would have rubbed me the wrong way initially. Just kind of an arrogant guy. But he's not confident in this area. He's not confident in this area with Esau. Why is he not confident here? Because in this area of life, he's reminded of his sinfulness, isn't he? In his interactions with with Laban, he probably was confident because he felt himself to be righteous and Laban to be the deceiver. But in this situation, the role's reversed, isn't it? He was the deceiver. He did wrong. And he's got no confidence. You know, Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Meaning, if you're living in deceitfulness, you probably see ghosts around every corner. And that was Jacob. So here he is. He's he's going home. He's scared. And what does God do there in verse 1? Don't you love this about the grace and mercy of God? He encourages Jacob. Just as when Jacob was heading up to Haran to Laban, God sent the ministering angels and the vision to remind him that he's not alone. And now as he's returning home, the angels again, God reminds him, you're not alone. I'm with you. And so Jacob, he perseveres in going home and he sends some messengers out to talk with with Esau. He did what you and I would have done because I don't know about you, but before I met him face to face, I'd kind of like to know his attitude. How's he doing? Is he still mad? Has he gotten over it? Is he feeling better? Uh, What's going on in Esau's life? So he sends some messengers and the scripture doesn't tell us about the episode, but we can gather from this that that Esau doesn't give anything away to the messengers. In other words, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to love on Jacob. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm going to kill him. He doesn't say much, but he's got 400 guys with him. So the messengers come back and they tell Jacob, we got good news and got bad news. He's coming out to meet you, but he's got 400 really big guys with him. And now, (laughs) now Jacob is really scared. He was scared before. Now it says he was greatly scared and distressed. And he had good reason to be. And what does he do next? What does, he, what does he do in that moment? He says, boys, how's about we pray? Isn't that what we do when we're <laughs> backs against the wall and last ditch effort? Here we go. We better pray. And Jacob prays. And folks, it is a great prayer. It's an amazing. It's the longest prayer in Genesis Jacob prays like he's never prayed before. And he says, God, I'm going home because you told me to go home. And he says, God, you're going to have to be gracious. Everything that I have, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You gave it to me. And he says, God, if you won't protect me for me, then think about the women, the children. At least protect them. And he reminds God of the promise that he made to Abraham to to multiply the descendants. And so he reminds God of the promise. And the, the prayer is almost completely marked by mercy. Because he's got no other leg to stand on. See, mercy is what you cry out for when you know you have no defense. When you know that you're guilty. And your only hope is that God will be merciful. That's how you pray. And Jacob prays. Great prayer. But then what does he do? What is the very next thing that Jacob does? 
Same things we often do. He reverts back to his old ways. He does what Jacob always does. He takes his stuff and he, he divides it into to groups, 10 groups. And he, he sends, it, sends all the groups over saying, this is a pre- present from your servant Jacob to my Lord Esau. Please don't whip him. That's what they're saying every time they go. This is a present from your servant Jacob to my Lord Esau. Don't kill him. Don't hurt him. He's trying, he's doing exactly what he's always done. He's trying to gain the blessing by means of his own strength. He's still trying to manipulate, and that's what the scripture says. It says essentially he's trying to soften up Esau, hoping that somehow in his deceitful, manipulative ways that he can secure the blessing that God's already promised to him. And so the next day he sends sends everything. In fact, in verse 23, it says he sends whatever he had. So just imagine this. He sent over like all this stuff. And then finally, he sends over the women, the children. He sends over the Coleman lantern, the stove, the backpack. He sends over everything. And there he is at at the fort of the Jabbok with nothing. This guy who struggled and strived and scraped together for the past 20 years, he got all this stuff, and now here he is, nothing. Just like when he started out on his way to Haran with nothing but a stone for a pillow, here he finds himself again, completely humbled before God, completely stripped bare before God, and God has him right where he wants him. We see Jacob returning, and then we see Jacob wrestling. In verses 24 and 25, then, then Jacob was left alone in verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This man, we learn, is the angel of the Lord. And who is the angel of the Lord? We've seen this angel of the Lord appear time and time again in the Old Testament, all the way back early in Genesis. We've seen the angel of the Lord. Who is it? We know it to be the pre-incarnate Christ. It's God. In fact, later, Jacob will say, what's your name? And God says, I don't need to tell you my name. And Jacob says, you're right. And he named the place what? Peniel. For I have seen God to face to face, and yet my life's been preserved. So here you see, now get this, folks, you see God, and God attacks Jacob. You say, Pastor, that sounds kind of extreme. But, it, but it's obvious from the text that Jacob is not the aggressor. God is. God initiates this. God pounces upon Jacob, if you will. And, and they, they wrestle. They go at it all night long. And it seems to indicate that they wrestle until daybreak and they wrestle to a draw. Now, now, don't misunderstand this. Don't get the wrong idea. It's not as though Jacob is as, as strong as God or, or that this is some kind of an even match. God may allow Jacob to push him around a little bit, but make no mistake about it. God is controlling the situation. This is, in, in, for lack of a better term, God's playing with him. You know, uh, some of you, you got boys, you know, every now and then, especially teenage boys, they start to get a little testosterone they 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 want to bow up on you and you you get in the floor and you do what you you say come on little man you want some come on and you got to show them sometimes as long as you can because you know there's a i know there's a day coming they're gonna whoop me and i gotta take advantage of these days 
But in many ways, I think that's exactly what God is doing. It's as if God is saying, all right, tough guy, let's see what you got. And God and Jacob wrestle. And Jacob holds his own until God does something. God takes his finger and he touches Jacob on the thigh and dislocates his hip. Now, do you know how hard it is to dislocate a hip? You know, um, probably the most famous hip dislocation incident was Bo Jackson, right? And what you learn is that, that before a hip will actually dislocate from the socket, the bone will break. Uh, either the, 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 the socket, you know, Tua, a great Alabama quarterback, uh, he, when his, the, the, the bone thrust into the socket and it fractured the socket and then dislocated. But before a hip will dislocate, because of all the muscles that surround that joint, it's, it's nearly impossible to dislocate the hip. And yet in an expression of God's infinite power, he simply takes his little finger and touches Jacob on the thigh and wrenches his hip out of socket. And at that moment, the match is over. God says, okay, little man, you want to dance? We'll dance. But when I say it's over, when I say game over, it is done. And pop. And God says, we're done here. And God wounds him. God hurts Jacob. It's an odd thing. I mean, can you imagine how painful this must have been? It's an odd thing that the God who has who pronounced Jacob blessed now wrestles with Jacob and wounds him. One of the commentators on this passage says that the God fights against us with his left hand and fights for us with his right hand. And I think that's exactly what's occurring here. See, the reality is we can talk all day long about why bad things happen. And we can do all kinds of exegetical tricks with God's word to try to get God off the hook. But when it comes down to the brass tacks of the matter, whatever pain, whatever trial, whatever difficulty come into my life, God is still God. And we probably ask, just, just like Jacob probably did, why you, God? Why, why the one who, who pronounces me blessed, the one who chose me before the foundation of the world, why at this moment does it appear as though you're turning against me? And we may not ever know the answer to the question, but here's what we do know. We do know that every great man or woman of God in Scripture at some point or another was touched by God in the hip. Meaning at some point, if you're going to be great for God, he's going to touch you in the area that you perceive to be your greatest strength. It's a principle we all better understand if you haven't already learned it by now. God doesn't test us in the area of our weaknesses. He breaks us in the area of our strengths. Why? So that he can show us our insufficiency and so that we might learn his sufficiency. You know, um, as I was studying this again, I was reminded of the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down. 
lead me beside the still waters. His rod and his staff. You know what a, a shepherd would sometimes do with his rod? If a, if a sheep continued to stray on a regular basis, it continued to wander away. Do you know what that shepherd would sometimes do? He would take the rod and he would break the sheep's leg. And he would pick that sheep up and he would put the sheep around its neck. And he would carry that sheep until its leg was healed so that sheep would learn that it's a whole lot better to stay dependent upon the shepherd than to want to wander away in your own strength. You know, A.W. Tozier said that God cannot use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. And I think that's made generically, that God cannot use a, a woman greatly until he's hurt her deeply. Jacob's been hurt deeply, but, but, but notice at this point, Jacob, in the passage, you see very quickly that he's no longer wrestling with God in verse 26. He's clinging to God. He, he stopped wrestling with God. He stopped fighting against God. And now he's clinging to God with everything he has. His hip has been wrenched out of socket. The pain must have been excruciating, but he clings to God. This man who has been crippled by God refuses to let go of God. It's interesting. God says to him, let me go for dawn is breaking. And I think the idea there is that under the cover of darkness, everything was okay. But if the light comes up and Jacob actually sees God face to face, he will surely die. J Jacob believed as all the ancients did that if you saw the fullness of God, you were a dead man walking. And so Jacob, God says, let me go. Dawn is breaking. And what does Jacob say? I will not let you go until you bless me. I love this. Jacob says it's either, it's either death or blessing, but I will not let go of you. Why? Because Jacob knows that even though at this moment it may feel like God is his mortal enemy, it may feel like at this moment that God is against him. He knows in his heart that at the same time, God is his only hope. And some of you are living in that exact same spot today. Some of you have suffered beyond what I could ever imagine. Some of you are suffering today in situations that I can't begin to imagine whether it be financial difficulties or your own personal health, cancer, children. You're suffering your vocational life. You're suffering in your marriage relationship. Maybe you've lost a spouse, lost a loved one. And in the midst of this, it almost feels like God is against you. Can I just challenge you today? Don't ever let go of God. No matter what. Don't ever let go of God because even though at times it may feel as though God is an assailant that you've got to prevail against, we know He is our only hope. And I don't know about you, but for me, one of the greatest obstacles to overcoming a moment like this is, is an awareness that that I'm a Jacob, that I'm a sinner, 
and I fall short of the standard that I, I know that I'm blessed by Christ theologically, but it's really hard to shake off the idea that somehow it's not going to work out for me because I don't live up to the standard. It may work out for these other guys who are really smart and intelligent and creative, deeply spiritual, but not for me because I don't measure up. And then I'm reminded that what got Jacob through this was not his piety and it wasn't his holiness. It was his grasping. It was his perseverance. It was his, I will not let go of God. It's in Jacob's clinging to God that he prevails. He didn't prevail as a warrior. He didn't prevail as a priest. He didn't prevail as a holy man. He didn't prevail as an intelligent man. He doesn't prevail as a degreed man. He doesn't prevail as a creative man. He prevails as a crippled, humbled man just clinging to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And what happens next? I love this. These episodes like this just wish that you could have been there. But I love to picture these things in my mind. And I picture Jacob. He's in a lot of pain. He's wrestled all night. If you've ever wrestled, you'll know that wrestling, it takes you, you. They box, I think, for three minutes. You wrestle for how long? One minute. Because it takes it, takes it out of you. They've been wrestling all night. He, he's he's. He's spent. Now he's in deep, deep pain. He's sorrowful. I think, you know, you know when you're, you've been, you ever been in a fight with your brother? I've had, you know, like me, and you just expended yourself, and you're, you're kind of part crying and part upset, and you're just, <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. You, you seen that? I, I just picture Jacob like that, and, and, and God, God picks up Jacob, sets him on his knee, and says, what's your name? Jacob and listen that's not an answer that's an admission what's your name deceiver what's your name Jacob twisted and God finally has Jacob right where he wants him and God says we're going to change that name Jacob No longer are you going to be sneaky. You're going to be stud. You're going to be the guy who wrestled with God and prevailed. We're going to change your name to Israel. And and, and what is is Jacob? (laughs) This is why I love Jacob so much. What does Jacob do? What's your name? (laughs) I told you my name. Now you tell me your name. And God says, I ain't telling you my name. You know who I am. And Jacob says, that's right. And he names the place Penal, for I've striven with God and prevailed, preserved my life. The final episode that we see here is Jacob limping. In verse 31, it says, now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over, the, over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. I think this is one of the most powerful pictures in all of God's word. Jacob is, is limping as the sun is rising. I don't know that you can paint a better picture of the Christian life than that. 
men and women who have been dislocated by the divine work of God in their lives and now caused to limp under the mighty hand of God, limping for the rest of their lives as a reminder of their total and complete dependence upon God whose grace is sufficient for us. It's Paul, isn't it? Paul, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Three times he pled with God, take this thorn from me. Three times God says, no, I won't do it. My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. And I think every day Paul struggled with a thorn in the flesh that was a daily reminder to him that without God, I am nothing. Peter Andrew goes and gets his brother. Here's Peter. Jesus says, I'm going to call you Cephas. You're going to be the rock. And Peter said, that's right. I am the rock. I'm a pretty tough guy. You have no idea. I'm a tough guy. And what does God do? He goes to work pulverizing the rock of Peter until finally Peter, who said, I will never deny you. You remember in the presence of this little slave girl, he denies having known Jesus. And Jesus, having been beaten, whipped as he comes away from the Sanhedrin, he and Peter lock eyes. And what does it say? Peter ran off and wept bitterly. And then later, after Jesus is risen, Peter had said, I'm going to go fishing, boys. You want to go with me? They go fishing. They're out on the sea. They haven't caught anything all night, and they see a little silhouette on the shore, and he says, how's about throwing on the other side? Might as well give it a shot. They throw over. They begin to pull in a catch so big they can't bring it all in. And Peter says, there's only one kind of guy that does stuff like that. And he starts swimming for the shore. First time in Peter's life, he ain't got nothing to say. And Jesus takes him to the side. And you remember what Jesus does? Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like you said you love me? And what is Peter's response? He uses the Greek word phileo, which simply means fond. Do you love me like you said you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I'm just fond of you. And Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you agape me? You love me like you said you love me? And what does Peter say? Lord, you know, you know I'm just fond of you. And then Jesus puts the knife in him. And he says, Peter, are you just fond of me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And Jesus says, now I can use you. Feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, one, one day you're going to go where you don't want to go. And then you're going to be a stud because you've learned that power is perfected in weakness. Every great man or woman of God has been broken by God. They have a limp. You know, anymore today, as we consider staff and positions here at the church, you know the thought that's, that goes through my mind? Do they have a limp? You know what I mean? They've been broken by God and realized their total and complete dependency upon Him. God cannot consecrate that which is not first crucified. And sometimes in order to get your heart to dislocate your hip, 
Some of you this morning, you're a lot like Jacob. You know about God. You've been using God. You've learned to let God bless you and protect you. But you know the one thing you've never given to God is the one thing that he wants the most, and that's you. You've given God a lot of things, but you've never given him yourself. Jacob had given God a lot of things, but God didn't have Jacob, and that's what he wanted. And some of you, God's been pursuing you, and you know it in your heart today. And I'm challenging you, give yourself to God and know the blessing of a dependent life dependent upon the sufficiency of Christ. Others of you, you're wrestling right now with God. Right now, you're wrestling, you're struggling with God. And that's fine and dandy, but just know this. One day, God will say, game over. And he will humble you, and he will break you. And if you've walked with God for any length of time, you'll nod your head this morning and say, I've been there. I think the key to the Christian life is daily being broken before God so that he doesn't have to break me. You know, with Peter, how did the day in Palestine always begin? What, did all, what always happened to begin the day? A rooster crowed. And every day, Peter was reminded, you're not as strong as you think you are. You better lean on Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that speaks so powerfully and relevantly into our lives, God. We thank you for recording the story of Jacob. And I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, they've never given all of themselves to Christ. God, I pray that they wouldn't struggle with you. They wouldn't strive with you. But, God, that they would willingly today bend the knee and they would know the blessing of walking in fellowship with you sometimes walking with a limp but knowing that your power is perfected in our weakness God I I pray for the man or the woman right now that much like Jacob they, they feel like they're in a situation where you are against them God, I pray that no matter what they feel today, they would not let go of you. Because they would know today you're their greatest joy and you're their only hope. Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.